0: This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 148, with Alex Goldstein.
1: Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher.
0: Hello everyone, MC Lobster here and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to be looking at how to invest in commercial real estate. My guest today is Alex Goldstein. Alex is a top-producing real estate agent and has acted as an investor, developer, and principal in over $50 million of land, commercial, and residential real estate transactions. Alex is also the author of three real estate books, including Home, Inc., Co-authored with New York Times best-selling author Brian Tracy, and he also writes for the Huffington Post and has been featured in articles in the New York Times, Newsday, and the Wall Street Journal. Please share your feedback and thoughts with me on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MC or by email at info at cashflowninja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at cashflowninja.com or texting cashflowninja, one word, all capitalized to 44222. That's two fours and three twos. You can support the show by becoming a patron on Patreon for $10 a month. And when you become a patron, you get access to our private Facebook page and a Cashflow Ninja t-shirt. You can become a patron by visiting cashflowninja.com forward slash support. Have you read Rich Dad Poor Dad? Are you interested in real estate investing and don't know where to start or to get the results you want? For valuable information to get you started, visit joinopsproperties at joinopsproperties.com. If you're not earning at least 8% on your cash, you do not want to miss the private lending presentation for non-accredited investors done by Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott. Discover how to create an income stream from real estate without the management headaches. You can access the presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash private lending. Spartan Invest have a proven plan and system helping investors creating passive income and wealth through turnkey real estate ownership in the exciting market of Birmingham, Alabama. Find out why Birmingham has got it going on, why it's a steal right now, why it's a millennial hangout, a hidden gem and one of the most exciting investment opportunities you have never heard of. You can download your free report, Five Big Reasons to Invest in the Magical City of Birmingham, Alabama, at CashflowNinja.com forward slash Spartan. I've spoken about the most powerful system on the planet, on the show, the banking system. And my firm, Valhalla Wealth Financial, helps people reclaim the banking function within their own lives through leveraging the premium tools and strategies of the wealthy. If you're interested in reclaiming the banking function within your own life and the infinite banking concept, you can access a free webinar presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Alex, welcome to the show.
2: Great to be here, MC.
0: Can you share a little bit about your background and your journey with my listeners?
2: Absolutely. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I work in real estate. I am uh, someone who has an unusual background in real estate because I started as an investor and a developer, and then later in my career opened an agency, which is kind of the opposite of the way most people go. Uh, also, I work in both commercial and residential property, which is also unusual. So um, that's my, my uh, journey in, a, in very brief terms, and I'm sure we can get into it more as we go.
0: Uh, absolutely. Now, from a mindset and a philosophical approach to investments, and uh, in this regard, real estate investments, uh, how do you approach it and what do you look for when, uh, what is your approach to the, these investments?
2: I think the most important thing for people to consider when they're looking at an investment is to really understand their own personal situation and their goals before they start looking at investments. A lot of uh, investors will take, especially when they're starting out, they'll say, well, I just want to get the best investment I can. I just want the most cash flow or I want the most appreciation. And, Leaving it open-ended like that is a big mistake that a lot of investors make because it's like having the entire universe of options out there on your table. Whereas if you can define more specifically, you know, I need X amount of dollars of income uh, passively on this time schedule, or, you know, I am willing to accept certain risks to get Uh, a certain level of appreciation and work through the larger financial questions. Then you can narrow that universe of options and work with someone who can really help you achieve your goals versus just kind of looking, looking, looking and hoping that, you know, the world's greatest investment just sort of shows up and presents itself.
0: Now, Time and leverage are two terms used a lot in the investment uh, arena and sphere uh and you've shared uh, some some very powerful information about that uh, regarding time and leverage how, what is appropriate leverage can you share a little bit about that with my listeners
2: absolutely the, you know thinking about time is the most important thing when making any investment and particularly with real estate. There's an old proverb that there is no bad land, there's only bad debt. And what that means is that if you own property and it's not encumbered by any debt, eventually it's going to be worth more. I mean, there's just, you know, only so much land around or property and uh, it's going to inherently become more valuable. But the reason that not everybody is successful with their real estate investments is because of the debt portion. And when they put debt on a property, it removes some of their flexibility. So what I encourage people to do who are investing in real estate is to take the long-term perspective and to be very, very cautious before they'd even consider doing something that is a short-term investment. So flipping properties is very, uh, you know, in vogue right now. And if you've got a lot of experience and you've got a team and a system and a real business behind you, that's one thing. But if you're dipping your toe in the water for the first time, you should be aware of the fact that you're taking on a tremendous amount of risk. Because if market conditions change, you're left holding the bag. And that's what happened in the last cycle to a lot of people. And I see people forgetting those lessons now. Whereas if they're buying a property that they know that they can hold on to for the long term, then it's going to be pretty difficult for them to wind up in a situation where they're disappointed with their returns, or even worse, that they're facing some sort of financial catastrophe.
0: Yeah, I think we've discussed on the show too uh, the the dangers of flipping properties, and you know, it's like, don't try this at home, kids, right? and i've i've really equated it to almost like stock trading it isn't just something that you're going to tip your toe into the water because you are competing against uh professionals that have taken the time and invested in themselves their financial education they've gotten mentors and training i mean this is you, you're you're jumping into a pool with a bunch of professionals and it's the same thing with flipping flipping homes and flipping properties or commercial properties um, this isn't just something that you're going to stick that, that toe in. This requires, uh, and it is a skill set, this requires an investment in yourself, an investment in your financial education, having someone guide you that have uh, done successful uh, uh, flips just as successful options or stock trades, um, and continuous education and learning. And as you mentioned too, Alex, having that strong team around you. So I truly, truly do caution people um, when it comes to that, um, because it has been a good source of income to then direct and invest in investments that are held for cash flow to provide income streams. The one area of your expertise that I'm very interested in picking your brain on is commercial real estate because this is uh, a different ball game. What is your view currently uh, of uh, the commercial real estate markets? Because obviously the economy is changing. The global economy is changing. Uh, the online world is <laughs> has lifted off or taken off. Um, Amazon is is obviously growing and growing. Um, there's been some challenges for retailers out there. Share a little bit of your insight uh, uh, and, and just give us an overview on your take of what's going on in that particular real estate niche.
2: Well, the commercial real estate market has been on fire uh, for several years now, and that's been driven by very low interest rates. And... I think that, you know, as we see this shift in interest rates, that puts the brakes on commercial real estate in general, and it forces people to be a bit more careful about how they underwrite a property. Uh, So I think we're going to see some more uh, sanity restored to, to the way things work. Something that's really important for people to understand about commercial real estate as opposed to residential is that. In in the commercial world, financing is much shorter term than in the residential world. So when you buy a house, you can get a a note that you take 30 years to pay off. That doesn't tend to happen in commercial real estate. Most of those loans are going to be five to 10 years out. So why that's important is because it means that as rates increase and as some of these projects become unviable, there is a a pretty strong day of reckoning and it happens a lot sooner than it happens in the world of residential real estate. So my sense of the commercial market is that we have been affected by this low interest rate environment. And as you also mentioned, there's Amazon, which has greatly impacted retail. And I have been uh, advising clients about that for quite some time. I believe that we're going to see a significant shakeout in retail uh, real estate. However, I also think that represents opportunities because there are certain types of uh, retail properties where the baby may be thrown out with the bathwater, so to speak. So properties that are in prime locations, I think we'll find that there's other ways for them to uh, recoup some of their value and to potentially... Uh, become even more valuable than they were as retail properties. So um, that's my 30,000-foot overview of what's going on in commercial, and I'd be happy to speak in more detail about any of those types of properties if you'd like.
0: Yeah, because so one thing that comes to mind is because um, there's a ton of stuff obviously on the internet about the retail uh, situation and some call it the retail apocalypse with Amazon and all these online companies taking off. And, you know, the internet is a wonderful thing. There's a ton of information on there. That's the positive thing. And <laughs> the, the con too is there's a ton of information on there. So yeah. there's a lot of different viewpoints and takes on this. Um, but as you mentioned, there's still going to be Desirable, desirable areas. So from that perspective, when you look at what would be a desirable uh, investment property what are some of the things that play into it like the first thing uh, right off the top of mind is foot traffic right location of the visiting uh, uh, access from highways etc can you talk a little bit about that and what properties would still be desirable even with all these other factors um and is the retail situation really as bad as 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 discussed uh, by certain outlets
2: I think overall, the situation in retail really is, uh, it's bad. Um, You know, there's a lot of stores that I just don't think can exist through the e-commerce revolution. However, when you look at what's happening, it's interesting that there are some bright spots in retail, even though you've got a lot of problems like, you know, Sears and JCPenney and Payless Shoes and all these other companies that are, you know, seem to be spiraling toward bankruptcy, you've got, on the other hand, uh, companies that are growing. So the TJ Max's of the world um, and the dollar stores are actually increasing the number of stores because they're successful with that model. So there are some businesses that are resilient uh, in the face of the e-commerce revolution. So that's, I think, something important that people can take advantage of in the medium term. Over the long term, If you own retail, you want to be in a prime location. And a prime location, as you said, it could involve foot traffic or it could involve uh, the cars driving by and how many there are. You want to be in busy spots because that land can be repurposed. So, you know, the old saying is you want to be at Maine and Maine, right? So if you are in a great location in whatever area you are, that land will retain its value and can be repurposed. So if you have a big enough shopping center, you can turn it into apartment buildings in the future. Now, that's going to involve a cost and it's going to involve a period where you won't have income, but it also means that over the long term, you might you might potentially realize even higher returns. And with the lack of affordable housing that we see in the country, I think it's fair to say that over the long term, we'll probably see a good number of these uh, retail properties turned over into residential in the years to come. And those owners might do really well, but the retail owners who have bought in locations that aren't very desirable or aren't very central could be in a, in a really rough jam because they may wind up with property that really isn't uh, very good for residential and uh, their retail clients are no longer paying the same kind of money that they had uh, expected.
0: Now, and that's interesting because, yeah, if you have to to advertise (laughs) to get people to come to you wherever you are in the location, you're really going to be in trouble is what you're saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you've got a location that people are already – let's just say, for instance, you know, like there's a shopping center that I represented a client on recently. It was near an intersection where there's about 50,000 cars per day uh, going – each way on two rows. So it's at this very busy intersection. Now, uh, she's well positioned because of the types of tenants she has are not going to be displaced by e-commerce. So we feel good about, uh, you know, the intermediate uh, profit stream and cash flows. However, let's just say, you know, we're 20 years into the future and the world has changed. And now basically nobody goes to restaurants and nobody leaves their house anymore or whatever, you know? Um, the the reality is that that uh, intersection is still going to be the heart of the city and it's going to have a use for people, whatever that use might be. It seems like residential is probably high up there on the list, but you're not going to take something that's the center of the city and suddenly it goes away. It has inherent value just as a result of its location. And as the world changes, the way that that, is monetized and the, the way that it gets cash flows can change. So that, that is the protection is having that great location. When you buy in the subpar location and you're just looking at cash flows, you're at a lot more risk. And one of the, uh, I think most overbought uh, types of property that I've seen in this last cycle have been the drugstores. You know, the CVS is the Walgreens. They are selling at these, really low cap rates, particularly in, you know, Florida and and California, but even here in Arizona where people are just earning, you know, a few percent per year and they're paying outrageous prices for the property because the perception is, Hey, Walgreens and CVS have terrific, you know, high rated credit. They're going to pay me no matter what. So even if they close the store, my cash flows are safe, but, my response is, well, if they close the store, who's going to be your next tenant? Where's the value going to come from in that property? And in my estimate, a lot of people have dramatically overpaid for these properties. And when CVS and Walgreens start shutting down stores because they're able to do more business online, you know, I think you're going to have uh, a lot of really disappointed property owners.
1: You're listening to Alex Goldstein on
0: the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. We'll be
1: right back after a word from our sponsor. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com.
0: You're listening to Alex Goldstein on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and are back to our interview. And, you know, I was just, that was my next question to look into that because you see the baby boomer trend, the aging baby boomer trend and healthcare and the CVSs and Walgreens. So it's very interesting that you're, uh, you know, if there's a combination of trend overlaps with this evolving e-commerce trend and the aging baby boomer trend, and this is going online, the sales, and they are eventually going to close up stores because, I was just thinking in my mind, that's a that, that would be very interesting to think, you know, what's going on with those companies and, and where are they going and the people owning those properties that these companies are in.
2: Well, you know, the way I look at it, it's very simple to me. Of all the things that e-commerce, e-commerce should displace, it's the drugstores that should really be at the top of the list because I know when I've got the flu, the last thing I want to do is drive to the store. Right. Right. So if if they can deliver my prescription and deliver Kleenex and everything else, I'm all over it. And, you know, that transition is going to happen, particularly as, uh, the baby boomer generation, you know, dies off and you have a generation that's used to e-commerce. It's going to really accelerate. And the other thing too, is, is that if the thesis behind these investments is well, you know, the cash flows of CVS are great and I'm going to get paid either way. My attitude is, well, if you believe that, why not just buy the bonds? Why would you buy the real estate and be subjected to the real estate risk when you could, you know, have the credit and the cash flows from that company by owning their bonds? And of course, a commercial real estate broker doesn't suggest that to their clients because they don't get paid for selling bonds. They get paid for selling real estate. And I think that it's been a a little bit of a false proxy for the bonds. And my sense is that that, you know, that has, if it's not entirely over in the cycle, it really should be soon because there are some just outrageous numbers that I've seen. The
0: other interesting part of commercial real estate is the co-working space because a lot of people are working virtually and from home and a lot more companies, I mean, just think over the last 15 years, right? This trend is just accelerating and it's just <laughs> exponentially right now. Uh, in the early 2000s, it was kind of rare when somebody worked from home, right? There salespeople and, you know, maybe a, a virtual uh, IT person, but now there's so many companies that's just uh, letting uh, their employees work from home because they actually get more done as the studies have shown. Um, and uh, so they're more productive and, the co- and it reduces their costs. What are you seeing uh, with that trend? And what are you seeing uh, uh, with other uh, trends and factors in the space? Top of mind is uh, companies like Reaches are really stepping up. And it looks like they're doing uh, very well from, from my understanding.
2: There's been a lot of talk about this. I mean, I think that the poster child for this is a company called WeWork, which has all of the glitz of, say, an Uber uh, or Airbnb-type startup, uh, but they're working in this area of office space. And they've even transitioned into uh, a a new type of project they call WeLive, which is basically like this communal living-type apartment so that the people who are – co-working, have a cool place to come home to, and can still associate. So there's clearly something to the trend. Um, However, it seems to me that uh, WeWork and some of the other companies in this space have been benefiting from low interest rates and aggressive venture capitalists. And I'm not so sure that their current business model is really sustainable and is going to work through the cycle. However, your point about the demographics is true, and I believe that at some point we're going to see a lot more of these co-working spaces. It's more a matter of getting the business model right in a way that works. And right now those uh, companies like WeWork tend to be focused on, on the places that actually have the most expensive real estate, you know, so they're in New York, San Francisco. You can find these in London. Um, I'd love to see them, you know, where I live in Arizona. We've got a couple of small co-working places, but it's not enough that it's really uh, changing the way people work here. So I definitely think it's a trend to monitor, but I would I would just be cautious about um, that business model because basically you're just buying you know, office real estate, and you're trying to sell it in a different way. And as we know that when the economy tanks, the demand for office space goes with it. And I would be concerned, uh, since we're in such a high part of the economic cycle, that if we hit a low, that a lot of these projects may not be viable.
0: Right. No, that's a all very, very good points. Now, you've mentioned TJ Maxx and dollar stores are companies that are doing well in this space. So I'm a commercial real estate investor. I'm trying to find a property um, to have a tenant such as they, them in there. What do I need to look at? Because what are their, what are their checklists? What are they, what are they going to evaluate? Um, how do they look at a location that's desirable? Um, I think Starbucks has a pretty good model too, right? Of trying to figure out what the best spot for them would be. But, um, if I'm trying to lure someone like that, what are things that I need to take into consideration?
2: Well, uh, I mean, for a lot of these companies, their real estate process is their secret sauce. (laughs) So we don't, on the outside, know exactly what they're looking for because they want to, you know, keep it as a competitive advantage. But there are certain things that we can see as patterns. And for a lot of these, uh, you know, for the dollar stores and for TJ Maxx, they're really going to want something that's built for them. So it's unlikely that you're going to retrofit a store. And lure them in as a tenant. It's going to be more something where you have land or you have an old building that you're willing to knock down and redevelop. And it becomes more of a partnership process at that point where you're going to be working with the company to understand their needs, to come up with a budget for the construction and to make sure that as the owner on the back end, that you're satisfied with the return that you're getting from them. And I think in general, you know, TJ Maxx's are going to be located uh, you know, more in the, you know, suburban type areas, uh, a lot of the dollar stores are in rural areas. And so that can be a good opportunity for somebody who maybe has property that's in a place where there's not a lot of other demand and working for a dollar store or excuse me, working with a dollar store could add some value for them.
0: Very interesting. Now, Alex, can you walk us through the commercial uh real estate investing process of, uh, there's obviously a couple of differences between that and just uh buying a residential uh, real estate investment or even multifamily. Um, can you walk us a little bit and just give us a little bit of a primer of the process?
2: Sure. So, we go back to the first principles that we discussed, which are looking at time and leverage. And, you know, that's true regardless of whether you're in uh, residential or commercial. And so when we look at the time question here, that's one area where commercial works against us, because for the most part, we're probably going to be capped out at 10 year financing. So you have to ask yourself, what do I think the world's going to look like in 10 years? And I know that for me, I don't even want to ask myself that question because I know that whatever I say, I'm going to be wrong. So what I tend to do is assume the worst and then say, okay, let's just assume, you know, that bank loans are going to be two or three times as expensive and cash flows are going to be down and so on and so forth. And I still don't want to lose this asset. and I want to make sure I have it in 10 years. Well, what am I going to do? It means that if I, if I'm going to put leverage on it, I'm going to be really conservative with that leverage. I'm going to put on as little as I need to make it have the cash flows that I want in the short term. And and if I have any excess cash flow, I'm going to be paying down that debt so that in 10 years, when I'm talking to the bank, I know that I don't need them and that I can walk away from their terms if necessary. So those are a couple of the things that I think are, are particularly important for people To assess on a macro level, on a micro level, um, some part of it comes down to again, what kind of income does someone need? I had worked with a client uh, that shopping center I mentioned that was kind of on Maine and Maine. You know, her needs were uh, pretty basic in terms of the income that she needed for her family was very easy to get with just about any asset because of the amount of money that she had uh, to invest. So we didn't have to put on much leverage. But when I met her, she had been telling me that other commercial brokers were encouraging her to leverage up dramatically, basically to the max and buy about four times as much property as she actually needed to get that income. And the reason they were doing that was because they never really asked her what her needs were. They never really tried to find out what she was going to do with the money that was coming from that property. They just put her into deals or tried to put her into deals that they thought were good. And they wanted to leverage her up because they were bullish on the market. And these are the kinds of things that are really important when you get down to brass tacks. So if you can buy a property, um, you know, if you have millions of dollars and you only need a small income from it, then, you're going to look at things differently than if you really need to squeeze out every last nickel of income from a property. And the trade-off there is that you can often get into the better location and have a a better long-term appreciation and get less cash flow now versus somebody who is kind of going out into the second and third tier areas getting higher cash flow, but whose long-term prospects may be uh, in doubt, as a result of some of these big changes that are that are coming that we've talked about.
0: Now, Alex, uh, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. What are you currently studying, and what new skill sets are you currently learning?
2: Sure, I have a lifelong uh, love of wine, and I you know I've been uh, on the board of the International Wine and Food Society for a long time, and I still. I'm a student of wine and I always will be, uh, another thing that is a more recent skill acquisition for me, I had, uh, injured my, uh, my back and my leg. I had some, some issues in terms of, uh, joint and disc damage, that sort of thing. And I was really into working out. I was in great shape. And that curtailed my activity quite a lot. So I have been learning a great deal about, how to heal these injuries and how to exercise uh, effectively without injuring them, and i 've learned that that is a skill in and of itself, and that 's what i 'm working on now
0: fantastic well, on the wine side <laughs> the next time i 'm in scottsdale we'll we'll have some wine together. I grew up in Stellenbosch in uh, South Africa, our wine country, and just uh, recently got back from visiting there, so uh, I have a love of that too one of uh, one of my favorite things.
2: That's terrific. Yeah. I'd love, love to host you when you're out here.
0: <laughs> now, a core message in our show is to leave our families and communities and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be?
2: Well, the first principle would be to take great care of your body because without your health, uh, none of your other dreams or goals can be realized. So that's, I think, the first thing that I would I would teach the next generation. Uh, the second thing is to do whatever you want, not what others think you should do as long as you're not harming anyone. Um, so as long as there's no damage to anyone else in your life, you know, your dreams, uh, you should follow what you want to do, particularly, you know, when you're young and starting out, I think a lot of people are too focused on what's expected of them or what they think people want of them rather than doing their own thing. And then the third thing is that learning to fail is a skill and it should be embraced because the stigma around failure and people trying to always look perfect, um, you know, leads them, down, I think, the wrong path. And if you can if you can look at failure as a process and manage your risk and not get overly emotional when there's a failure, you'll be hugely successful.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Alex, how can my audience learn more about you, uh, your company, and stay informed of all of the projects that you're involved with?
2: Sure. Well, I uh, recently published a book called No Nonsense Real Estate, and it contains uh, everything that people should know before they buy or sell a home and some of the basics of real estate investing too. And if they would like to uh, read that, they can check out the site at nononsensebook.com. Um, and I'd be more than happy to uh, communicate with anyone who has questions as well. There's a way to contact me on there.
0: Fantastic. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge around commercial real estate investing and investing in general and providing so much value for my listeners.
2: Thank you. It's been such a pleasure and I, I hope this was a valuable conversation for your audience.
0: This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Al Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Thank you for joining my guest, Alex Goldstein, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life. So if there's any way that I can provide more value to you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gosh Good newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text cashflowninja to 44222. That's two fours and three twos. You can also support the show by becoming a patron on Patreon for $10 a month. When you become a patron for 12 months, you get access to our private Facebook page and a Cashflow Ninja t-shirt. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to become financially free. They've designed a system to take any beginner to an experienced deal-making investor in the least amount of time. They offer opportunities from basic education, coaching, bridge loan investing, to turnkey investments in the cash-flowing market of St. Louis, Missouri. For more information, please visit joinopsproperties.com or call Jimmy and Bob at 314-799-2247. If you're not earning at least 8% on your cash, you do not want to miss the private lending presentation for non-accredited investors done by Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott. Discover how to create an income stream from real estate without the management headaches. You can access the presentation at CashflowNinja.com forward slash private lending. Creating passive income for you and your family is easier than you think. All you need are three things, the right plan, the right product, and the right turnkey provider. As an investor, you want a safe, profitable, and convenient way to invest your capital without being at the mercy of stock market fluctuation. Investing in real estate in a turnkey way that provides monthly passive income with very low risk is exactly what Spartan Invest provides for their clients. Their mission is to make investing in real estate easy for the busy professional. Spartan Invest help investors create passive income and wealth through turnkey ownership in Birmingham, Alabama. You can download your free report, Five Big Reasons to Invest in the Magical City of Birmingham, Alabama, at CashflowNinja.com forward slash Spartan. The wealthiest families on the planet know how to capture their wealth and then leveraging their wealth through their own banking system. If you're interested in privatized banking and the infinite banking concept and learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms.
1: This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.